This is your opportunity to win a Porsche Classic watch. So just go to the Collector Car Podcast on Instagram, like the watch promo image, share with your friends, and then go to CollectorCarPodcast.com and answer a question from this episode. Every friend you tag multiplies your chances of winning. The rules are posted at the CollectorCarPodcast.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's the Collector Car Podcast with Greg. And as always, when I start reviewing cars that are coming up for auction, I like to have my partner in crime, so to speak, Ramsey Potts. Ramsey, how you doing? Good, Greg. I'm doing real well. I hope you're doing well. It's always, always a treat for me to be on uh, this podcast with you. I enjoy all your listeners, your fans, and quite frankly, we get to talk about cars. Yeah, that's what we really love to do is to talk about cars. And as I've mentioned many times before, we have diverse tastes, which is why I love having you on, uh, because you bring something totally different to the party than what I would bring for our listeners and I will have some other RM Sotheby's car specialists in the future, but I really enjoy having you on and talking cars. So let's get right to it. There's a lot of cool stuff coming up in our June open road sale, and I want this to be about the cars and talking about the cars and how they're doing in the marketplace. So let's start with a really interesting and unique one, the 1975 Lamborghini Jorocco P250. Did I say that correctly? You did say that with the <laughs> flair and all, Greg. Well done. A beautiful car. I frankly, I, I, I can't tell you that I'm a terribly big Lamborghini fan. I think they make a really special automobile. The Yuraco is, is, this is true, this is my favorite, but it's not because of a personal experience or anything that I've had with this. My uh, mechanic, what I frankly believe is, just the best technician with the best shop where I live in Savannah, Georgia, uh, Mr. Joe Frazier at Frazier Sports Car Services. He has owned multiple Yurakos. So here's a guy with a keen mechanical insight and could and has over the years owned many different cars. Uh, in his opinion, this Yurako is one of the best 70s European sports cars that uh, classic European sports cars, obviously, that you could own. He really, really likes the car. What do you think of that shape, Greg? I, I happen to think you see a little bit of halpa in it prior to. Uh, it, I just think it's a really special shape. Well, I love that shape, and you said you said yalpa. I always say yalpa. Is it like tomato, tomato, or is that okay? Golly, Greg. <laughs> 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 that, uh, 
probably depends what day of the week and to whom you're speaking. I, I, uh, I'll go with Jalpy. Either one uh, will probably work. Yeah, yeah. But I love the shape. And what I like about this car, this Lamborghini, is that you just don't see them very often. And it's, quote-unquote, an affordable Lamborghini. So the estimate is 150 to 175 And I did put some notes here from our friends at Haggerty. And it was launched in 1973 as a competitor to the Ferrari Dino and the Alfa Romeo Montreal, which I thought that was kind of interesting. And if I'm correct, didn't one show up at Sand Hills Motoring Festival a couple weeks ago? As a matter of fact, it was. There was a blue one. Uh, a gentleman, a, a friend of mine, uh, purchased that car. And I'll tell you, that particular fellow had been wanting a Yurako for years and years and years. And every time one would come up, and more often than not, Greg, as you said, when we had them, they were uh, available in our European sales. And he just was never really able to make the commitment because he knew he had to get it across the pond and the extra fees. And that one he was able to acquire here in North America. And uh, he's actually spoken with my mechanic a few times about the car, and he loves it. He really really enjoys the car it is and you know i talk about this often greg fairly roomy inside yeah and that was actually the first one i had ever seen in person and uh it's a beautiful car it's kind of a wedge shape for those who have not seen one you can go to rmsotheby's.com and check it out right now so super cool car you know it's not one of the crazy countaches you know where you you have a v12 behind you but it's still performance oriented uh you can feed you, you know a little bit more room i would say in those cars and they're cool and they're unique, and you just don't see them every day, right? Greg, this one on offer in the Open Roads June also has air conditioning. Now, I recognize Greg whenever <laughs> European you talk air about conditioning seventy five. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> but it's it's still better than no air conditioning whatsoever. And there are some things you can do retrofit certain aspects of them to upgrade them and make them a bit more, how shall I say it, effective but it is at least better than no air conditioning uh, whatsoever. The cars do make a really special sound. Now, this is the P250, the uh, second series in the car, which, according to my mechanic, was a significant improvement over the P200, which we never got in the States. The P300, also a good car, but that the 250, as they say, might be the one you want. And, Greg, this particular car, I don't, have the bullet points to read but it looks as though there's a number of awards and trophies and plaques so uh, looking underneath the car looking on top of the car this looks like a pretty strong example which i'm i'm excited to see uh, i i think that estimate 150 to 175 quite frankly now maybe not so much for the 250s but i think that estimate is pretty strong so this should be a strong car and and hopefully we'll see a strong result yeah, and you know I love talking trends on this podcast, so I did look up the Haggerty trend. What's really interesting about this car, if you look at five over five years, the car is up almost 52%. So you can see a lot of love have, has come on for this car over the last five years. When you look at three years, the most recent three years, it's actually down 6.5%. So it softened, you know, it did a nice run-up, then it softened, and if you look at the last year, it's flat, which tells me, you know what, it stopped going down now it's flat and now it's probably going to go back up if you read these things the way i do so interesting car it'll be interesting to see how it sells uh, when the sale comes up 
Uh, now, the next one is a car that I absolutely love, the Mercedes-Benz 280 SE Cabriolet 1969. And I believe this is a high grill. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay, so this is, isn't that a nice color on that car as well? Uh, they're, they're really beautiful cars. I like the combination with the black top. If you've had the chance to drive one of these, Greg, you know they are really, really nice cars to drive. Very easy to drive. And quite frankly, some of the Mercedes-Benzes from that era had what I would call a fairly high demand with regard to maintenance. And these were actually very straightforward with that uh, uh, engine. I, I think these are really nice cars. I, I don't really recall seeing many in this color of red, almost a dark ruby. Yes, it's a very beautiful car, and for those that don't know, in that year they actually had a high grill and a grill. I would take either, and it's just as it sounds. One is actually a little bit taller than the other one, but absolutely beautiful cars. And when I look at the estimate, 110 to 130, you know, that's a pretty strong estimate just in general if you want a nice driver, but it is a Mercedes-Benz drop top, 2.8 liter. And then the trends, they have slowed recently. So the five-year trend is up 24%, three years up 153 so the one year is actually flat. So you could say, you know what, now's the time to buy. You know, they're probably going to go back up now that they've slowed. But you can't do wrong with such a beautiful Mercedes drop top uh, any day of the week, right? I, I, look at that. And you see that high grill creates those two scallops either side in between the fender and the center hood line. It really adds a sensuous touch to the car. And look at that value, Greg. You're 24, like you said, and 15 zero take the median over the course of the last three years that that for a car from that era it, it continues to do well right right now the next one is totally up your alley a 1969 jaguar e-type series 2 4.2 liter roadster i have some notes here but it might be a waste of my breath so i might as well just let you take this one no no please <laughs> review your notes as well greg yes uh, all things for queen and country. <laughs> I, I will, yes, I understand the purists want the Series 1. I understand the beauty of the covered headlights and the toggle switches. But seeing as how I don't fit in a Series 1, and the Series 2 is, by every measure, Greg, a more practical car than the Series 1. And I know there are a lot of people out there, and I don't disagree with them, that say the Series 3 is an even more practical. Practical. We don't buy collector cars for being practical, though. Uh, but an even more practical car than the Series 2. I, I just, I, I, I defy the Series 1 purists to say that the Series 2 is an attractive car, right? It's different. It's not bad. And if it affords you some roominess and some comfort, uh, a little bit more footroom in the footwells. I, I'm, I like it. This is a very traditional color. The red with the tan, a fairly, or excuse me, red with black, fairly ubiquitous, fairly common color, but it also means uh, it's very widely accepted. Right, and the estimate on this one is 100 to 125, and Haggerty agrees with you. They say, while not as pure as a Series 1 one car, Series 2 cars are more user-friendly with the aforementioned mechanical improvements that you mentioned, plus options like power steering and AC that were available. So those are two nice options that are nice to have in any old car. And when you look at the Haggerty values, five years up 10.8%, three years up 95 
and one year up 4.5. So it has slowed recently in the marketplace, but as you know, as everyone knows, everything seems to be popping in the marketplace right now. So it will be interesting to see how this one performs. Uh, another great car. Now, I'm moving to a car I am not that familiar with. I just fell in love with the look of it. I just thought it was beautiful. There's not any type of Haggerty estimate on this because, or market trends because they just don't have data because there weren't that many built. It's a 1939 Steyr 220 Cabriolet. Now, did, is that correct? I mean, I know that's a German company. How would you pronounce that? Yeah, that's correct, Steyr. What, what is it you like about it, Greg? It, 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 it has a certain almost um, cartoonish look a little bit. You know, it reminds me of like the 46 Ford convertibles with the big fenders, you know, or even earlier than that. I just yep. think it's kind of a cool looking car, one you've never, I've never seen. You know, I've, I've heard of Steyr before because of some of their other models. I just thought it was a unique and interesting offering, especially for an online platform that has a truly global audience. And when I looked at some of the notes, uh, I think the notes were actually from uh, like Hemmings, I believe. But it was uh, not too many were made. Only 5,900 were, were made, 220s, over a four-year production run that ended in 1941 with the start of World War II. So this one is an actual, I believe it's red and tan interior convertible. Uh, so it's a beautiful car, one that would definitely get you a lot of attention. And there's a very interesting note that a 220 was uh, very popular with the Nazi commanders and officers, and one provided transportation for the for one of the very few successful escapees from German concentration camp Auschwitz. So just pretty infamous, you know, good and bad from a German perspective. Uh, but again, just a beautiful drop-top German car that you don't see very often in the marketplace. I would encourage your listeners to go to the website and look at three things with the car. Uh, look, first of all, at the hood ornament. Uh, it is the most interesting hood ornament that is essentially undiscernible by looking directly on at the car. If you're looking directly at the car from the front, all you see is essentially just a chrome stick, so to speak. But when you look at it from the side, it is purely and only legible from the side. You see this beautiful, beautiful roundel with a, a, a silhouette inside, two layers down, two rings. I should say. And then the other thing I would encourage them to do is look at the side profile of the car. It takes on a very different personification when you look at it from the side profile. It's really actually quite a lovely car, and it doesn't have that same stance when you look at it from the front or from the rear. Actually, the instrumentation in the car reminds me of the Tag Heuer Monaco watch. It's all square. Very nice. There are certain features about this car, I would say in particular, that say more than the car as a whole right i totally agree with that and i would like to give a little sneak behind the curtain so to speak and how the sausage is made here i know ramsey's the consummate professional and just so my listeners know he has about 10 minutes heads up as far as what cars i want to talk about <laughs> for this podcast so i'm always amazed with how prepared ramsey is in covering cars that he has had very little heads up on. So thank you, Ramsey, for being such a professional and bringing such value added to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. Wow, Greg, thank you. You're very kind. I really do enjoy this. It's a great way to just talk about cars with all your fans and listeners and make sure they know what's going on uh, at RM Sotheby's. Yeah, I agree. that. And now this is another one that is right in your wheelhouse. Why don't you just take this next one? I did send you a little list of what we were covering, and I know this is one car that's close to your heart. 
1965 Alfa Romeo Giulia 1600 Sprint Speciale. Greg, you know, in my opinion, what makes this car, aside from the fact that it is, I mean, look at the thing, Greg. It is an absolutely beautiful car. It 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 has these uh, pieces. Uh, when you look at it, especially from the, the, the front uh, of some of the best Italian coachwork, these cars, and I'm pretty sure that's the case with this one, come with a five-speed manual transmission, which really was a bit out of the ordinary at the time. It really, really is just a, a true touring car, but yet it is one of the Sprint Specialis. This is a little bit faster. It is a little bit more appropriate for touring than just the 1600 sprints. I, I think they're really, really neat cars. Look at the front of this. Look at the front fenders. And what you're going to see uh, is a lot of, uh, you know, some of the Carmen Ghia-bodied cars. Uh, but this is just, it's, it's really nice. 65 of them, Greg, 65 of them have been produced. I, I was able to work with one that we had in Fort Lauderdale a couple years ago, and I know that that car has gone up in value a little bit. I'm seeing what you have here for your Haggerty values. It looks as though it has been on a pretty consistent downward trend. Golly, I find that frustrating because it is such a beautiful thing to look at. Right, and that might be one of those situations where, like Porsches, they ran up so quickly, you know, they got to come back down to earth for a little bit, so it's a good time to jump on board while they're still affordable. And I, I was going to ask you about that. Is that really only 65 of those were produced? And it sounds like that is true. So a rare, beautiful I, Italian I don't car. Think many. Right. Yeah. Not. It's not actually, many. you know, Greg, it was a very expensive car at the time. And you look at some of the touches, look at the rear uh, taillight assemblies, and you see that the marker light has a good solid chrome sort of leading tube that goes from essentially just behind the center axle point rear center axle point all the way to the back of the car. You see that the way the fenders have been rolled from uh, the outside up and then into the body, you see that in both the front and the back, the little uh, bug shield that is in the center just behind the bonnet in front of the windshield, the way the headlights taper down. The, I mean, just look at, all, look at all these pieces. Listeners, go to the website and take a look at the front wheels and see the way it has that front fender trim uh, between what I would call the dead cat space. It, it eliminates the dead cat space. Technically, Greg, that is the space between the top of the tire and where the fender line starts. And if you look, you see sort of dead cat space, but then uh, Alfa Romeo designed this uh, little trim piece that goes back. It's just this thing has so many beautiful, subtle touches. Right. Yeah, it's a very, very beautiful car. Now, the next one I actually know quite a bit about. You do, don't you, Greg? Tell us about this American special. Yeah, this is pretty cool. It's a 1956 Byers SR100 Roadster. Now, I won't go into super in-depth because we did talk about it with its current owner in our previous podcast, Undiscovered Classics. But it is a really cool car that came about with the invention, I guess, for lack of a better word, of fiberglass and the mainstream automobile manufacturing when, you know, approximately when the Corvette came out in 53, there was a lot of other companies that said, hey, we can make a cool fiberglass body and pull it on a, put it on a nice chassis with a cool engine in it. And this is one of those super rare, beautiful cars that came out of that process. So this Byers, if I had to describe it, I would call it almost like a little Italian Barchetta. A very beautiful car. And it actually came new with a 
1956 Corvette 265 cubic inch engine. So it's got the power and it's got the looks and it's got the rarity. One of 10 known to exist. Uh, so a cool car. Be sure to check that one out. And the estimate on this one is sixty to $70,000. So uh, it was shown at Amelia Island in 2010 and actually won. So pretty cool little car. It's ready to go, ready to drive, fired right up. Uh, now let's move to the next one. Now I talked about this one previously. We saw a nice run-up in Cadillac prices for the 50s and 60s with the Bromes and the Brits. The Britzes, I guess, is the best way to say it. Now I will say those look like those have leveled off a little bit, especially when we saw the results from Amelia. Uh, we sold three out of the four. Yeah. Two were slightly underestimate, one hit mid-estimate, and then the fourth one did not sell. So just looking at some of those numbers, I think, you know what, they ran up and now they've kind of flatlined a little bit. I'm really curious about the 62 Lincoln Continental Convertible. So the estimate on this one is 60 to 75. A big 430 cubic inch, 300 horsepower V8 engine in there. And I'm afraid I did not pull the Haggerty valuation trends on these. But give us your thoughts on this particular convertible, Ramsey. Greg, I, I actually, Greg, I'm I'm looking at some Haggerty valuation. Ah, there they are. Got it. Okay. I, and I... I actually wanted to talk about these Haggerty valuations. This is probably a good example of how you see, and and we say this to folks, Greg, but they don't always believe us, right? Because there's no the the best possible item, the best possible tool you could have to predict the future is a rear view mirror, right? And you look at this, and you see, look at these five year trends up sixty percent, three year trends up twenty four percent, one year trend now flat at zero. So sometimes cars, when they find a special attraction within the collector car community, people just gravitate them at a fairly accelerated pace, and you see an enormous increase. I mean, and five years ago, Greg, it's not as though the 60s were any more relevant than they are today, and yet I think part of that whole Art Deco uh, desire, that Art Deco trend, is what really saw these cars uh, find a lot of demand. And there is some market trends out there, and not just in cars, but in furniture and in design, where Art Deco has become maybe a tiny bit passe or less popular, and maybe that has something to do with the value. But that does not eliminate the fact that these cars are fabulous to drive. I think you may know Greg, our international director of auctions, Mr. Gord Duff, just acquired one for himself. And I saw a really great picture of he and his wife and all three kids in the back seat eating ice cream sandwiches on their way home from the Dairy Queen. How many times can you put the entire family in a top-down four-door convertible and hit the road? I, I think they're extreme. For being so square, I think they're so cool. Yes, they are definitely so cool. And it's funny that you mentioned the fact that you can fit four people in there. One of the reasons we had an old Mustang convertible was the fact that we could fit four in. And when I was looking to replace it, originally I was thinking, you know, a, a C2 Corvette. But, you know, we want to get some of our nieces and nephews in the back seat so it wouldn't work out. So, obviously, with this big Lincoln Continental convertible, you could fit four adults in there easily, probably five or six, and have a good old time. So, yeah, definitely been it has definitely been strong in the marketplace. It looks like it has flattened out recently. And so that one will be a fun one to watch. Now, the next one I kind of put in here just for you. I know it's not your car per se, but I know you know a lot about these cars. So why don't you talk a little bit about the 1994 Porsche 928 GTS? My favorite Porsche of them all. And yes, all you 911 rear engine purists, 
Porsche-made cars with engines in the front. <laughs> this, to me, is, and I have said this on your podcast in the past, uh, when I talk about great touring cars, my favorite car of all time, the contemporary car, which is the Aston Martin Vanquish S, truly a great touring car. But when it comes to German touring cars, and boy, I better duck when all the Mercedes-Benz aficionados are throwing stuff at me. But this car is one of the best touring cars you will ever have the opportunity to get behind. It is a big cruising machine. Greg, this is a 5.4-liter V8 engine, right? And I know you, as a muscle car fan, you talk about 5-liter and 5.0. It's a 5.4-liter, 345 horsepower. It'll go 170. I know that for a fact, but what I can also attest to is it will do it for miles and miles and miles. A little thing that most people know about, but I just love to talk about it, Greg. Do you know when you move the steering wheel, up and down, the tilt on this, the entire dash binnacle moves with the wheel. They did that to preserve the driver's view of the car. They're very comfortable cars as well, and here we are with a manual transmission. I prefer the automatic, but most sports car enthusiasts think that this manual creates the ultimate combination. They call these shark noses the ultimate combination of the shark nose car. And wouldn't this be one of the best ones or the best year to get because it has the extra horsepower and a couple extra amenities, I would imagine? It is absolutely the best year to get the car uh, for 1994, the first year of uh, the, the GTS. Actually, 93 was the first year of the GTS, but there was a little bump in uh, performance in 1994, uh, 94, 95, 95. Um, being the end of the GTS run, just a really, really special car. I mean, this was this was this was Porsche saying we're going to take the car to its ultimate derivative, and, and that that those three letters GTS means so much in the Porsche world. Whether it's a Macan or a Cayenne or a 911, or in this case a 928, it really is the ultimate evolution, the best that was available certainly here in North America for the car. Look at that value trend, uh, 38%, five years, 20%, three years, and still climbing in the last year. I, I Again, I, I think the automatics are what these cars should be in, but one of my co our colleagues, Zach, uh, Zach Older, would, um, he's probably, uh, his head is spinning around right now as I say that because we've had the automatic <laughs> versus the five-speed debate. And this is this is really a special car. You'll notice, Greg, in this car that the rear wing is body-colored. Also, again, a little bit special. My red 928, the rear spoiler was black. And this was uh, one of the things you could do is get the monochromatic body-colored rear spoiler. This is a really nice example. Oh, that's awesome. That's really great. Uh, now, the next one I just put on this list because I thought it was cool. <laughs> it's a 1953 Buick Super Estate Wagon. Now, we've seen softness in some of the woody trends, obviously, because there's a big demographic shift occurring out there. And this one does have some of the woody look to it. I wouldn't call it your traditional woody, but it's a beautiful car. Estimate is 55 to 65 grand. And it's the estate wagon. Now, this was the one that had the nice 322 cubic inch engine. I believe it was the last year that they had that upgrade, and it was the last year of this particular car. What do you know about this wagon? Is this one that you would like to have in your own garage? 
Yeah, the colors, the colors, Greg, really nice colors. I think this is tastefully done with, at this point in time, with the amount of wood or the lack thereof, I should say. It's a nice combination, sort of a contrast. Man, these are just some kind of cars, aren't they, Greg? There's enough chrome on this car, uh, really, to, well, you could wake up and, and do your hair. It, <laughs> it is, it's so much car. The red and white two-tone interior with the black and wood exterior. That security valuation is sort of interesting. I guess it further supports uh, our surmising that the wood has gone soft. One year over five, one year over three, and 0% value increase over the last year. You know, Greg, we've said this before, it's not about the future investment potential. It's about the fun, enjoy the car brings you. But it has been a trend we've seen where these just simply have not been able to move. Neither really up nor down. They just have no movement in value. So get one now and enjoy it. Yeah, that actually surprised me because I've seen a lot of the trends for the Woody Wagons being a pretty hard downward slope. And this one's pretty much flat, which is pretty interesting. So it shows you how much these cars, the Buick Super Estate Wagon specifically, are, you know, they have a fan base out there that really enjoys the cars. So it is interesting. This was the last year of wood-structured station wagons, with Buick having the honors of being the last to change the steel wagon bodies in 1954. So truly the last of the Woodies. It, this is the uh, the last example here. All right. Now the next one is another one. I, you know what? I didn't. I'm not familiar with this car at all. Um, it's a 1921 Milburn electric model 27L Brome, and I picked this mainly because of the trend we've seen in the electric cars. Uh, they've been really hot. The Teslas, early model Teslas specifically, uh, the Roadsters, we've had a couple sell surprisingly well. And I want to find out if this thing is speaking to a larger trend where it's not just the next generation going after the electric cars, uh, the newer Tesla electric cars, but are they looking back? Are they looking back 100 years ago to see the foundation of the electric cars? So the estimate on this one is forty dollars to $50,000. Uh, this company was founded in Toledo, Ohio in 1848. The Milburn Wagon Company didn't begin producing automobiles until September 1914. So pretty interesting little car. I've heard of Detroit Electrics, obviously. Uh, but I just want to see if that next generation buyer who's snapping up electric vehicles, if they're going back beyond 2007, back into, you know, 100 years ago. Do you think that client is out there looking at this? Greg, that's a really good question. I would be very curious to see what your listeners think. I, I guess I. How about if I we agree, Greg, or we at least consider that it's a combination of some fascination by. And Greg, we we've talked about this. What's old is new again, right? I mean, you know, when people talk about, oh, well, the Oldsmobile Toronado was the first front-wheel drive car. Not really. And then you look at Accord. Oh, that was the first front-wheel drive car. No, not really. There were some even before <laughs> that. The French did some. Uh, so, yes, of course, today's electric cars and their performance and range are unprecedented compared to the past. But Greg, this is from 1921, and we talk about Detroit Electrics, and we usually have a few of those every year. Here's a car that was electric long, long, long before today's contemporary cars. Greg, did you see how this car is steered, how it's driven? It's driven by a rudder, a, a stick, instead of an actual wheel. This is an incredible 
incredibly cool thing, Greg. Yeah, you know, I did see that, and I'd have to admit that would make me fairly nervous. And I believe a lot of the Detroit Electrics were also uh, kind of like a tiller kind of, you know, rotary thing in the front there. And uh, I think even maybe Craig... I, I said rudder, I meant tiller. Yeah, correct yeah, me if sorry. I'm wrong, but I think the Detroit Electric, you could actually steer it from the back seat, and the front seat's actually turned around, so when you're parked, you can have a conversation with your with your friends in the car, almost like a little parlor. So really interesting, cool stuff at the turn of the century, a hundred years ago. And this is another example that's available in our June sale. So pretty interesting to see what the next generation, if they're looking at these cars, like I think they should, because uh, obviously it's a huge historic milestone when it comes to uh, that generation of cars. So really curious to see what happens with that one. And then we have two more to go here. Uh, two little hot cars, really, a 2002 Honda S2000. I don't know the mileage on this car, but the estimate is 17.5 to 22.5, so I'm going to guess the mileage is a little bit higher. But these were really good little screamers when they first came out. Do you have much experience with the S2000? I, I do, Greg. I, I actually like the S2000s quite a bit. So Honda has always been my favorite Japanese car, my favorite Japanese brand, one of my favorite brands all, all around. That has a lot to do with the story of Sochiro uh, Honda. I recently read his book, and what an amazing guy. These are the AP1s. This is a very early car. So my experience with the AP1s is not quite as intimate as the AP2s because I do not fit in the AP1s <laughs> at all. But any car that you basically don't even really get to fully experience all that it has to offer until you get to about 7,000 RPM. And, oh, by the way, we still got a few to go till we get to Redline. How much fun must that be, Greg? It's, it's a little bit hard when I've driven the AP2, which does have a little bit lower Redline. It is you actually really have to tell your brain, no, 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 it's okay. The pistons are not going to come out through the hood. You just got to keep winding this thing out. They're fun. They are rear-wheel drive. Think about this. You know, the Miata was out there, and everybody loves it. It was a far less expensive car than the S2000. This car was a much more technically avant-garde car, way ahead of the, in, of the Miata and the technology. Didn't sell quite as much or as popular, but that Honda VTEC performance and the technology and, of course, the reliability behind it makes it a really special thing. Right, yes, and this one's a Spa yellow car, which was first for 2001. And uh, actually, this car is actually Suzuki blue, I believe. So both those colors were new yes. for 2001 blue. and available in 2002, uh, which is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I've never actually driven one of those, but I heard you really do have to wind them out, like treat them like you hate them to get the full effect out of them. So neat little cars. Now, the Haggerty trend on this is kind of interesting. They had a big run-up five years ago, about 29.4%. The most recent three years, 126 so they've slowed somewhat. And the most recent one year, they're actually down 7.2. So they've peaked and they've gone down. Time will tell if they're continuing down a little bit or if they've flattened out or if they're gone back up. So we will have to see how this one does in the online auction. All right, for our last one, yes, we do have a Porsche in this sale. We actually have numerous Porsches in this sale. So be sure to go to rmsethelbees.com to check it out. There's a lot of really nice ones. Uh, but ironically, the one I picked is not one that you might think of offhand. I picked the 2002 Porsche 911 Carrera, the 996 model. The reason I did, one reason is, is I that's the only special car I have right now in my garage. So I have been curious to see how these prices have been faring. I do remember 
A year or so ago, I looked and they were trending up, so they're no longer really considered a quote-unquote used car anymore. They're considered more of a collectible that's starting to appreciate in value, which is kind of neat. And this does does show that in the numbers as well. Five years, they're up 5.8%. Three years, they're up 9.1%, so going up even more. And then the latest year, they're up 10.5%. So if you like Porsches, if you've never owned a Porsche, like myself as of three years ago, go get a 996. People might complain about the headlights, that they look like a fried egg. They might complain about the front suspension that is shared with a boxer. But if you read the articles, one thing they've never complained about is the driving experience, which is 100% 911. So tell us a little bit about this car. That I, Something I haven't already said, Ramsey. <laughs> if what you're after is performance and fun, I'm not sure there's a better value out there. Look at the estimate on this car, Greg. 2002. 911 Carrera Coupe, it's a beautiful dark blue. I like those wheels. And you're talking about a value range that, this might be a bit heretical to say, but isn't a whole lot more than an exceptional NA or NB Mazda Miata. I mean, come on. And you get all of that Porsche cachet. You get the rear engine. You get the sound. You get the luxury inside. I get the whole headlight thing. I do. But at the same time, why are these not just being completely sucked up by a classic car, a collector car enthusiast, and just, frankly, Greg, wring the neck out on these things. It's everything a Porsche should be. And I recognize that there is the issue uh, potentially with, you know, the, the legendary issues with the IMS, but those issues now can be easily addressed. Uh, there's a lot of car here. There really is. For this kind of money, it's, it is probably the, the very zenith of, of value right now in collector car market. I talk about the 280SLs and the 250, 230s all being gateway drug cars for collecting cars. I, I, I guess I really need to open up the whole gateway drug concept into these as well. Yeah, and I will say I had a, as my listeners know, I sold my 66 Mustang convertible and got the what I consider the opposite of a 66 Mustang convertible, which was a 996. And, you know, I sold my Mustang for around 30 grand. It was a nice four-speed convertible. And people see me in that 911 and they think, and, you know, they believe I spent 70 grand on this thing. I'm like, no, I spent 18 grand on a 911. I mean, just do the math around that little Mustang, you know, I was almost able to get two Porsches for the price of one Mustang, and uh, the enjoyment is just through the roof for sure. I like your car, Greg. I've seen it. I like it. They are really neat. I've driven the turbo in this era, and that's supercar performance for yeah, half, half, a, a third of uh, the same supercars from that era when it comes to value. Right, yep. And now, as I mentioned before, I picked these cars, ones that interest me, and I sent them to Ramsey to kind of ramble on about a little bit. So I do want to give you, Ramsey, the opportunity. Are there any cars in the sale that you have a particular like or would like to mention and bring to the attention of our listeners? I, I will say this, Greg. I We do this for a living. And I want to make sure everybody understands that that does not at all prevent us from being just as addicted to this disease as anybody else. I love the variety. It's, it, 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 it's the variety that I find so appealing. So uh, 
I'm not going to let you force me into one. I love this yellow 911 RS America. I think it's a really neat car. I will tell you that one of my top three cars in this sale is the Uraco. My mechanic has me convinced that that is a car at some point in time I'm going to own. Never owned an Italian car, Greg. Never owned an Italian car. Never owned a French car. And by golly, I need to check both of those boxes. I, I, I want to, and I think a Uraco could be that car. And then, of course, I, I this is going to be nuts, Greg. Forgive me, but the first new car, new car, new car I ever purchased was an Isuzu. Now it was an Isuzu Trooper, and that's a sport utility vehicle. But as a result, I've always had a little bit of an affinity for Isuzu. And yes, America, they made cars, and we have the goofiest looking little thing that is so cool it looks like a little jensen interceptor but it's a 75 isuzu 117 xe coupe 30 to thirty-five thousand dollars, and i promise greg whoever is the winning bidder for this car they will be the only one at their cars and coffee don't care where their cars and coffee is they will be the only one at a cars and coffee in in a suzu uh 117 xe coupe it is really an attractive automobile look at the front look at the back the whole dance of the thing real coupe uh again sort of a jensen interceptor look to it uh, susie made some great cars and i like quirky and this thing is right hand drive uh, i owned a right hand drive british car for a number of years and it's okay you'll get used to it very quickly and it's really a lot of fun when you're on the road and if you could put a young kid or a dog in the left seat and everybody, their head just about pops off when they wonder how the dog driving that car. I'm so glad you mentioned that one because that was one I had my eye on as well. It's such a beautiful little car and not like you. I Actually, the Isuzu was the first car I ever drove, the first stick shift car I ever drove. It was a little 1982 Isuzu iMark diesel and I love that little thing so much that I have a Google alert waiting for one to pop up, and I just know there's none around because nobody cared about them, and they rusted, you know, they rusted away. So uh, I love the yeah. little Isuzus. I really love that one that's in our online sale. Uh, that's one I should probably have my bidders paddle up for for sure because it is really cool. And like you said, you will be the only one that has one of those when you come to the cruise ends. Look at this variety, Greg incredible variety incredible variety in this sale really uh, just uh, everything you could ever imagine yes yes and for our listeners you can go to armsethwees.com the auction opens up on the 23rd of june and it closes approximately a week later uh, so you can go there check it out register to bid you always give us a call if you like to uh, need some help getting set up but as always ramsey thank you for uh, reviewing these cool cars with us and i'm sure i'll talk to you next month thanks greg always an honor to be a part of the show to you and all your fans and listeners thank you and happy motoring thanks for listening to the collector car podcast don't forget to give us a nice rating on itunes and be sure to follow us on instagram and everywhere else at the collector car podcast